Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today as part of our Property Heavyweight series, I'm delighted to share a conversation I had with Mike Hambright, who rather humbly describes himself as a real estate investor. But he's also the founder of a number of businesses, including one called Flip Nerd, which is building on Mike's success having flipped over 300 houses himself and uh, gone on to coach others who have flipped thousands of houses each and every year. And more recently, he has just completed on uh, on no less than three deals with what he calls multiple doors. So apartment blocks and portfolios, if you like. And, and these are in the 10 million to 15 million pound, uh, sorry, dollar price range, as you'll pick up his, uh, his from the USA. And despite the obvious success, Mike is a very humble person who ranks caring, giving, and personal responsibility among his core values, along with hard work, persistence, and dedication. And if you're considering burning the boats, as Mike likes to call it, and go full-time in property, and developing the confidence to do so, then this is going to be a very interesting discussion to listen to, I can assure you. So let's get on with that right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. We are again. It's another episode of the Property Voice podcast, and uh, I've got another transatlantic guest who's joining me today, Mike Hambright, who is a real estate investor and uh, founder of Flip Nerd, but amongst other things, as I'm sure we're going to get into in our conversation. But first of all, Mike, hi, how are you doing? I'm great, Richard. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm very glad that you could join us. Um, obviously, our paths have crossed uh, a little bit over more recent times, and I'm you know, I think uh, we'll get into this conversation a bit. I think we share some similar values, actually. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited to to be here, and it's been great getting to know you a little bit better. And looking forward to uh, meeting some of your listeners today. Yeah, exactly. So you're gonna um, be introduced to our UK uh, listenership. It's primarily UK, but it's not exclusively. So uh, hopefully, a new audience for you, and, uh, and and no doubt people will hear this across the pond as well uh, as you share it. But um, what it, why don't you maybe start us off by just talking us a little bit through your, your backstory and, and how you got to where you are today and where you are today, in fact, for that matter. Sure, sure. Yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, just earlier, just two months ago, I was in uh, the UK for a couple of weeks with my wife. For uh, First time for me, she had been, but we went to Ireland, Scotland, and uh, spent some time in, uh, in England as well. So, um, so it's great to be back, I should say, maybe. So... Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm a real estate investor, um, primarily out of the Dallas Fort Worth market in Texas, and I've been an investor for a little over 11 years. I've flipped uh, several hundred houses here, and uh, a couple years into the business, really started mentoring and coaching other people, and kind of teaching the things that that I was doing, or the things that uh, you know, some of the successes that we had, and of course failures too, and. Um, and that's just kind of evolved from there into uh, kind of more coaching and mentoring. And ultimately, uh, we run some masterminds, which you're a part of, called Investor Fuel, uh, which is kind of a, a mastermind and association, if you will, for 
generally, you know, highly accomplished real estate investors. It is indeed, and I can vouch for that. Um, so, so thank you. So, um, obviously, what we're we're doing on this series is called property heavyweights or real estate heavyweights. I'll try my best to translate, by the way, um, <laughs> as we go through. <laughs> but um, it's really just to understand, you know, just to get in, get under the skin a little bit, lift lift the hood, as you would say, and uh, and understand how people got to where they were. You know, we're talking to people who've achieved quite a lot of success uh, in in the field of real estate property. And so obviously you it sounded like you started out as um, flipping properties or trading properties, perhaps, as we would call it in the UK more, more commonly. Is that, and then you flipped a couple, yeah. of hundred, couple of hundred houses you mentioned. Yeah. So uh, if I go back a little bit before that, I you know pretty much trained my entire life to be an employee. Uh, so went to college, have a degree in finance, worked in uh, for a very large bank for a while, then found my way into retail with working for some very large retailers in the U.S. Um, at the, kind of the finance level or general management type level, like usually in the corporate headquarters, not necessarily in stores. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I guess the, the short version is, is I had a couple of jobs out of college and just kind of realized that uh, that that wasn't all it was cracked up to be and thought that you know, maybe the solution was to get more formal education. And by the way, I was the first person in my family to even go to college. So I, mm-hmm. I really didn't have a, a kind of a good mentor, if you will, in terms of what to do. I was just kind of following what seemed to be the, the path of, uh, of how to get forward in, in life really was by trying, ultimately trying to make myself more and more appealing to somebody else that would want me and want to pay me. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so I decided to go back to graduate school and I got my MBA at, uh, at a uh, University of Texas, which in, in, in uh, the U.S. is kind of a top 20 MBA program typically. And uh, it was a great program and all that. And I got out and ended up getting a, a really good job, uh, despite the fact that the market was down. And it was great for a few years, but just kind of out of nowhere, one day got fired. And, oh. and it was it was because my boss had gotten fired and I was his right hand man. And so I was kind of, you know, I was next just because of my association. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I had no control over that. And it was like this, wow, this is a job. I finally have a job that I, <clears throat> that I really enjoy. I, I honestly, I, at the time I would say it was my dream job. And in the blink of an eye, I lost it. Right. And mm-hmm. like, I don't have any control over this. How could I, how could this have ended differently? You know? And uh, then I went on to another company that was a, I'll call it a startup, but had grown pretty quickly to about 500 million uh, in sales. And um, and uh, then they filed for bankruptcy after I was there for 18 months. And 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 then at that time, my son it was two months old. He was just born, our first child. My wife wow. and I had been married for a couple of years and left her job to support me moving across the country to take this other job. And here we are on the other side of the country where we don't even want to be away from family with a newborn, you know, not not knowing, you know, how to be a parent yet. I, by the way, my son just turned 12. I'm, I'm still not sure that we know how to be a parent. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it was, this, uh, it was this realization of like, am I even in control of my life? And how am I, how am I going to support my family? Like, do I just go keep trying the same thing? And um, so that brings us to kind of 2000. That was early. That actually was late 20, uh, 2007. And um, I'd always been entrepreneurial, I, I, but I hadn't necessarily done anything significant with it. 
And I'd always had an interest in real estate investing. And, you know, growing up in the U.S., there were the house flipping shows and stuff were not nearly as prolific as they are now, but they, they did exist. And uh, in fact, I worked in a large uh, uh, kind of home improvement center while I was in high school and college. And so it was around a lot of construction type people and stuff and just always kind of interested in that. And um, so, you know, next thing I know, I kind of made the decision that, Hey, I, I have to take control of my own destiny mm-hmm. for my family. I, I, I'm responsible for other people now. And so, um, dove headfirst into uh, real estate investing at the time for the first really uh, you know ten years. What we primarily do is fix and flip houses, so kind of rehabbing and reselling, mm-hmm. and then uh, wholesaling. So I know you have a different term, but kind of wholesaling properties onto other investors, and of course keeping some as rental properties as well. So that's now now I do some multifamily and some other things as well. But that that was really the first kind of ten years of my of my uh, real estate investing life. So you, um, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, obviously the, the key component there, or it sounds to me like one of the key drivers was uh, control. As you went from yeah. a place of lack of control or being, you know, subject to somebody else's decisions to, you know, taking control of your own destiny, as you put it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, real estate property investing allows us to do that as, as with a lot of other businesses too. But, um, it's interesting you, you chose real estate. Also interesting reason you chose to flip houses initially. So did you did you keep any or many or did you flip them all? Um, no. So we uh, we have about uh, we kept over, I guess, in the first five years, we kept approximately 40 single family rentals. Um, and so, yeah, it's you know, it's always I guess you look you can look back. And I can I can look back in hindsight now because uh, we you know, we, we flipped over 300 houses in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And a lot of that was in the first seven or eight years, I would say. And then things got more complicated with other businesses and coaching and uh, rental uh, property management uh, and all those things. But it's easy to look back now and say, because there's been a lot of appreciation and a lot of, uh, we kind of see the cash flow now that they're paid down more and some houses are paid off and all those types of things. Like it's easy to look back and say, wow, I should have, I should have kept them all. But um, you know, of course, when your business is active kind of flipping, uh, uh, fix and flipping and assigning wholesaling deals, you know, you have, we have overhead to cover uh, you, you know, typically advertising costs is a big piece and we have staff and stuff. So you, you have to monetize those deals like a real business, unless you have another source of income or you're independently wealthy or whatever, you have to kind of feed the machine as well. So you, you know, generally can't afford to keep them all. Um, and that gets easier as you grow your business. If you're doing a house or two a month, there's probably not a lot of room left to keep any. But if you're doing five, six, seven, and you can keep one or two a month, then that's where things start to get interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's, you know, it's, it's easy enough to say that, you know, you, in, maybe with hindsight, you, you could have or you perhaps implying should have kept more. But it, it's actually pretty impossible, as you say, unless you've got very, very deep pockets, alternative income streams, because um, it's, it's difficult to pull all of the cash out if you're going to refinance and keep a property, for example. Um, and obviously, if you, if, if you don't have a refinancing strategy, you've got to put all the cash in in the first place and leave it. So right. rental income is um, it's great for long term, you know, savings slash pension, you know, types of earnings. 
income replacement long term, but it's not so great for an immediate return. It sounded like you needed a fairly immediate jump start when you uh, when you started out as well. So. Yeah, that is true. I think there's probably a little more like at the time, you know, in hindsight, we well, so in hindsight, you know, uh, a lot of this was in the years when a lot of credit dried up in the U.S. So uh, yeah. 2008, 9, 10, uh, things were the, the market had, had softened here. Not so bad where I am in Texas, uh, but other parts of the country for sure. So a lot of credit basically dried up. So there, there weren't as many opportunities to uh, do cash out refis yeah. quick, you know, very quickly into the property. And and the truth is, is um, you know, our goal at the time, like there's really two two lines of common thought, I guess, with rentals is is uh, two uh, schools of thought is get them paid off quickly so they cash flow better or leverage it forever and use cheap debt whenever you can so they cash flow more now. And so interestingly enough, my wife and I, my wife used to be an investment banker on Wall Street, pretty savvy financially as well. And I have a finance undergrad degree. Um, so, you know, common traditional wisdom would say use cheap debt and just keep leveraging things. But I guess the other side of us is probably the more conservative side of like, let's get these paid off so that they cash flow and we don't have to worry about uh, the leverage. So there's kind of two lines of thought. We're right now we're, and we have been in the thought of let's get them paid down, even though that is cheap. I mean, it, it doesn't really make sense. I guess it doesn't make sense financially if you can immediately apply that money back into the business. Um, and that's always been one of the challenges of if I go free up a few million dollars in capital, how long is it going to take me to apply that again? Yeah. Well, um, I think the other thing, of course, is if you've got a, an, uh, I wouldn't say an issue. I was about to say an issue with control, but that wouldn't be the right phrase. But if um, if you, you're interested in taking back control, of course, when you're using debt uh, from financial institutions, the, you know, they've still got some element of control over your business, haven't they, anyway? so No doubt. Yeah, I definitely have friends in the last downturn that, that they're, you know, they had rental properties and banks would call their lines kind of out of nowhere. And some of them lost their houses because of that. They, they couldn't they couldn't refinance them and bad things happen. So I guess maybe there's a little bit of that going on as well, that uh, the control stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so talk about the, the evolution. You hinted at it a little bit, um, but, you know, how's, how things evolved, you know, to, to bring you up to where you are today? What what does your business, you know, real estate business look like today? Um, Sure. We still not, um, might not be exclusively real estate, of course. So, what are your business? Yeah, I mean, it's. I would say I, I've kind of gone from more exclusively a real estate investor to more of a real estate entrepreneur, and uh, it's just evolved. I mean, it started early on, honestly, just a, a couple of years in as an investor, um, because we our first year uh, as real estate investors, we actually did sixty five houses with with no prior experience, mm-hmm. and. Some of that, you know, if I kind of elaborate on my story a little bit more, was that um, after losing losing my job effectively twice, I mean, I left my second company, but they were filing for bankruptcy, so it it, it was just a matter of time before I was probably told you to leave. Right before now. you were pushed, yeah. Yeah, and so exactly right, and so it just got to a point. Uh, you know, if I if I were to tell you a little bit more of the story, it's that I I dabbled for six or eight months with trying to start an online business and burn through some cash. And that, that just made the situation a little more desperate by the time I got into real estate investing, which was about eight months later, uh, it was a little more desperation. I mean, we weren't living in a cardboard box under a bridge or anything like that. And it wouldn't get to that point. I would have gone back to get a job, but it just got to the point to where our runway was shorter and this had to work. And so because of our corporate backgrounds and, 
and uh, some of our experiences, we just, I didn't, I didn't want to dabble. And so we just kind of went big, went after it. And, and the truth is, is there was some timing that uh, coincidentally, like we didn't necessarily plan for this, that we, that we played into it. And that is that when the market dried up, um, a lot of the competition went away. So we were able to uh, grow very quickly, you know, some of that based on working really, really hard for sure and betting big on ourselves and some of it just based on market timing to come in and pick up pieces where other people had left behind because we were fortunate to have at, we were able to tap into some uh, uh, got a, a, through a family member, got a relationship with a local bank that was not lending to a lot of people, but that got our foot in the door there and through some friend and family type money. So we had access, we were, we had some capital okay. to do what we needed to do too. And so we got after so we bought 65 houses in our first year. And so a couple of years in, you know, we pretty quickly, we bought over a hundred houses. And so I had a lot of experience that I could share with other people and then I got into coaching and, and, and mentoring and got to the point to where um, I had built a team of people that I was coaching that was buying uh, almost a thousand houses a year. And, um, had built up a pretty good reputation for helping people get started and really build. I mean, there's a lot of coaching and mentoring programs and things out there uh, that are uh, not nest that don't necessarily help people uh, do deals. They just they're shiny objects, right? And so we've always been very focused on um, like helping you actually run the business like a business and not just buy something that's not going to get you anywhere. So. Uh, so we kind of built up a reputation for, for really uh, having a program to help people get started in real estate investing. And, and that's just grown over the years uh, and it's changed morphed a number of times. But we do some some elements of coaching and, and mentoring. Um, and then, you know, and what I'll say is if I could go back a little bit before that is. Uh, the first, like I said, we, we probably in the first year and a half or so had, had done 100 houses and we were finally, you know, making more money than we did in corporate America. Like it wasn't, we went from this kind of uh, desperation situation. Like it was about survival mode to making more money than we had in the past. And it very quickly, you know, if I would have told you up front what my goals were, it was financial freedom and to kind of get stable. Um, but I think, and everybody's different, but for me, once I got to a certain point, it was like, well, I'm not saying that I don't need to make money. I want to make more money. But I just got, it got a little lonely, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, so my wife and I had a business. We were in a small kind of hole in the wall office at the time because that, that just made financial sense when we first started. We had an admin or two and we had a salesperson or two and, um, and it was just us. So we were, we didn't necessarily have friends that were also in the business, anybody to share our experiences with and uh, anybody to, to kind of brainstorm with and, and, solve problems together and you know our personal friends were usually still working in jobs and so you know our our co you know co cocktail parties we had some really good stories but we we couldn't necessarily relate to other people as well anymore because <laughs> you know as a real estate investor you just you just you just you're just a different person right yeah. <laughs> that's what i put it i know it sounds bad but you're interesting to other people because you have these stories and you're probably doing things that they want to do more of and sometimes you can't relate to them as much because they're like, well, I have two weeks of vacation. And I'm like, well, I just took four weeks off back to back, you know? So anyway, we just got to this point. And I don't say that's a brag. You know, we're just, we're just a different 
we're just a different breed, right? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't always that way, no doubt. But anyway, my point is, is I just got to this point to where I, I wanted to share what I knew. I needed a social outlet. I needed to kind of be around more people like me. And that's where the coaching and mentoring and uh, things started. And from there, it's, it's morphed to um, surrounding myself with, uh, you know, some of America's most successful uh, real estate investors and entrepreneurs that we have a whole different, when you've done a thousand plus houses or you're flipping two or 300 houses a year, or you're um, have a larger business. You just, it's a, it's different conversations that you crave or that you need um, to, I guess, uh, keep pushing you forward. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's some real human needs elements of uh, what you're talking about there, you know, and, and being able to relate at, at a peer level. And I think you right. know, I, what you're probably not aware, but we, I have this conversation quite a lot, often with myself. Um, yeah, it can be a lonely old trail um, for, you know, especially someone starting out in uh, real estate investing, property investing. Um, you know, you, even when the, you got to the point where you're craving more of a sort of a peer network, you had some people around you, but you couldn't have the same sorts of conversation that you have you know, as a real estate investor entrepreneur, or entrepreneur in particular. So, right. Um, yeah. Not to sound negative, when I talk to coaching students now, they're the same questions that I answered 10 years ago. Right. And so, and I get that that's where they are, but that's not where I am anymore. And so it's one thing. So I have to, I had to kind of separate coaching and mentoring new people, which I, I still enjoy. Uh, but um, I had to have elevated conversations with people that could, that challenged me, that made me stretch further. Right. Mm-hmm. So and so you got the you, you were fixing and flipping you ended up wholesaling or as we call it sourcing in the UK um, you you um, kept a couple of uh, a number of properties obviously and you you then developed an alternative income stream in coaching and mentoring is there are there other income streams that you developed as well yeah oh uh, yeah <laughs> and that's always evolving too yeah so uh, about two years ago we started our investor fuel mastermind which we have. Uh, is a, is a, it's really an association of professional real estate investors. And so we meet, uh, which you're a member of, right? So thank you for that. But uh, we meet four times, a, four times a year and we have some other smaller meetings that are a little more social. Um, and it's people from all over the country. And we really have two groups, those that are doing 10 to 50 deals a year. And, and then a group for those that are doing 50 deals a year or more. Um, and that varies a little bit. Like in some markets, the deals are much larger than others. And so we have, you know, we're really, it's, we're really, it's kind of framed around the types of business problems that those folks are having. So usually the, what we call the gold group is for people that are still, if you, if you're familiar with the Robert Kiyosaki kind of cash flow quadrant, it's kind of like they're self-employed, right? They might have a business that's doing well, but they're still doing more of the work themselves than they would like. And then uh, the next group is really uh, the next step up, which is those that are business owners that have employees and they're putting systems and processes in place to try to get themselves out of a job uh, further along the line, if you will. And so th those, depending on which of those kind of boxes or quadrants you're in, you have different business needs. Um, and uh, so that's our uh, mastermind uh, uh, group. And and uh, uh, then that's a, it's, it's evolved. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's this mastermind, I've been in other masterminds before too, just the networking at a higher level, just the opportunities that, that present 
themselves. And so I've become good friends with uh, somebody else that's in our investor fuel mastermind and he's a multifamily guy and we've become very good friends. And now we invest in multifamily deals with him and uh, look to do more multifamily deals. And so we've, we've participated in, um, I think, uh, well, we have a third one under contract now and the first two were about $10 million deals and this one's about 15. So some bigger deals to just, you know, we have single family houses, but um, it'd be hard to go buy a hundred more of those one at a time, the way that I bought them in the past. And so, you know, with multifamily, the deals are harder to find, but you can apply a lot of capital quickly. And so, um, yeah. so let's do some more of that. Let's drill into that a little bit because maybe um, a wrong imp- uh, definition, a wrong definition, multifamily. Um, so what is your definition? If you're doing sort of 10, $15 million deals, what does it, what does a multifamily deal look like then? Yeah. So these are apartment, apartment communities that usually have a couple hundred doors or more and, uh, or bigger student housing, um, opportunities, actually two of the three deals that we've one that we're having a contract and one of the two that we did in the last year are student housing. So they're apartment communities, but if it's a four bedroom apartment, the, that has four leases. And so, um, they're, they might just be their friends, but they pay the rent individually instead of combining it, if you will. There's a few other, like their bedroom doors might have a deadbolt on it, but they share a, a living room and a kitchen or something like that. So, um, yeah. So, you know, in the U S at least sometimes people say multifamily and what they really mean is like a, a, a like a quad unit, like four units or yeah. above. And, um, and so the deals that we've been doing are larger apartment communities. Yeah. yeah. So larger apartment communities. And so obviously they're larger deals, larger ticket sizes. Um, what, what would you say is the key to getting involved in deals like that or keys? Well, when you start, it's more like us and it's, it's somebody else finds the deal and you're probably a more of a passive uh, investor. Um, and as you get more experience, because the, the key, there's, you know, there obviously the deals are much bigger. So there's room for lots of people to participate in different ways. There's people that are participating passively. There's people that are actually responsible for raising money for the deals. There are um, the property management is usually outsourced to a professional company. A lot of single family people, you know, might just manage them themselves, which uh, isn't is not something that I enjoy at all. We don't even do that with our single family. So, uh, but the scale is so much bigger that it's, it's, uh, it's a lot easier for a lot of people to participate in different ways. Yeah. Um, And and, and we, when you say you were getting involved in some of these multifamily, your role was um, more passive. Was it more on the sort of funding side of things? Yeah. So we're, we're active investors ourselves with our own money and we help raise money uh, for uh, the deals where we bring other people in as well. So you're sort of um, syndicating a little bit, maybe, or um, you're diluting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you're diluting. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think you know it's one of the game changers, isn't it? Getting involved in larger deals like that, because as you say, flipping or or, or rehabbing hundreds of houses a year is uh, is a pretty active business, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's definitely not passive. Not <laughs> passive at all. No. Okay. Um, I mean, it's really interesting because I mean, I'm talking to a number of people who do. Um, either want to or are involved in wholesaling, let's say, uh, or okay. flipping. Uh, but it, the, the volume is, is one of the uh, limiting factors 
uh, you know, finding the deals, funding the deals, getting getting through them in enough time to rehab them, as you call it, and get them back onto the open market. In the UK, it's a lot slower as a marketplace than it is in the US, for example. So you'd be lucky to be in and out of a flip in the UK in eight, nine months. Wow. Yeah. Which is yeah, there's some, some markets in the US are like that. You know, so typically, depending on the situation, uh, some of the older parts of the country where the rehabs are much heavier, which you might have some of that. And then some that are a little less uh, friendly in terms of permits and approvals and uh, and even some areas where there's weather issues. So if you're in if you're in Boston and you're rehabbing a house in the middle of the winter, things just take longer than they do in the summer. So things like that. Yeah, with my experience in Chicago, I can relate to that. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, so obviously on the journey that you've had, you know, to be honest with you, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, eleven years you mentioned, um, and to be doing deals of you know. 10, 20 million dollars, um, you know, multiple, multiple doors in, in, in apartment blocks in that sort of time scale is, is impressive. And obviously you've got the volume that you went through on the flip, uh, flipping side and you've got the mentoring and coaching side. It's an impressive thing. Has it always been plain sailing or have you had a few uh, bumps along the way? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Bumps along the way. There's always, there's always challenges. Right. And so I guess, uh, you know, it's interesting because when we talk to coaching students or things now, they assume like we've got it all figured out. And, and the reality is, is I I've definitely learned a lot of lessons. Don't get me wrong, but my confidence level to address any issue that comes up is really what's different. Right. I mean, just as many problems and challenges happen to me as they did when I was new, they might be a little bit different challenges, but my ability to make a decision in seconds or minutes and just say, that sucks. Here's what we're going to do about it. Um, is, uh, is, is what's different. It's a confidence level. Like a lot of new people are afraid that like, what if something goes wrong? And I know a whole bunch of stuff is going to go wrong. <laughs> just how you react to it. Yeah. Exactly. So the experience has taught you, you know, to be resilient and that, you know, things are going to go wrong. And, and no doubt the problems that you have will may, maybe just have a different label um, or, For sure. or of a different magnitude. But it's interesting yeah. to say that, that your confidence level is higher so you can make a quicker decision and you don't get paralyzed, if you like. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I would say, too, you know, you like you like I said, you you get to, at least for me, I got to a point to where I have to kind of do like. <clears throat> I don't say this from a place of ego. I, I like to make money. I always want to make more money. So I don't want to, if I say it's not about the money, it, it, it always ultimately in business is about the money for the most part. But uh, I, I'm at a point now where I, I don't have to do things if I don't want to. So there are things that we do sometimes or maybe a coaching product that we have or something that on the P&L, it looks good, but like, it's just not my source of joy anymore. Like I don't enjoy this or that or whatever it might be and so you know that's a that's a great place to be and, and i'm not saying that i'm exactly where i want to be i always aspire for more but i do love the fact in my life now and it's all because of real estate um and working hard for a long time that that i get i get to pick and choose what i do now the projects i work on who i work with i don't have to you know when i was an employee i had no say 
when I was, um, even when I was getting started, there are things I had to do that I didn't necessarily want to do. And that still exists as well, but it's just a different level. So now I'm at a point where I'm kind of playing with the house's money, if you will, a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I can take more risks, uh, which I enjoy. I can try new things. And if they don't work out, it's not going to destroy me, you know, depends on how big the risk is, obviously, but, um, but, you know, you, that's one of the beauties of, of self-employment and having a, a business that uh, has enough cash flow for you to take risks. It's like, I'm not I'm not going to lose my personal home and I'm not going to lose, you know, uh, a lot of my personal money, but I can take more risks. I don't have to worry about, is there going to be food on the table next week, right? Yeah. So would you say there's like an evolution in terms of your mindset uh, as things have evolved? Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's, it gets to a point to where, and I was explaining this to uh, somebody, not explaining, we were talking about it yesterday. It was just like, because I have a friend, I have a friend here, a mentor of mine here in my market that owns a couple thousand rental properties. And, and I had this conversation with him uh, in the past about like, and this person lives a very simple life. Like most people have no idea what this guy is worth and he, he doesn't flash it. No, most people don't even know who he is. He's an under the ground kind of real estate guy. And, and, you know, I feel the same way that, that what he explained to me a couple of years back was it's, it's just the game at this point. It's not, it's not about need. It's just, it's like, if you were, if you liked doing crossword puzzles, you know, you're not, or Sudoku puzzles or any of those things, like you, you, your skill elevates or your need to be challenged elevates. So you're, you're doing the easy ones. And then as time goes by, if you're good at those, you don't want to do the easy ones for 10 years. You're like, give me the most difficult ones and I'm going to try to crack that. And then I'm going to look for what's next. And so there's an element of that going on of just wanting to hone my skill, improve my skill and be challenged. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we need a sense of purpose, don't we? Uh, anyway. And- right. And I think is we, we, we sort of get more advanced in the game. It's like playing a computer game. We get more advanced. We do need to be more challenged. But I think the other side of it is there is this, this is a hierarchy of needs, of course. So, you know, when you started out, you needed to put food on the table, <laughs> which is in a different place to potentially, you know, taking a few risks and see if it works out and having a little play. It's, it's a different position, right? And so exactly. you, can, you can position yourself differently. Um, and the good thing is that everybody, no matter where you are, uh, can get there, right? It's not, I didn't, I say this all the time, you know, as real estate investors, like I know I'm, I'm fortunate to have, be friends with and know a lot of the top investors in, in America. Uh, and now uh, over uh, in the UK as well, my friend. Um, and, and nobody came out of the womb being an expert real estate investor. They, they found their way there. And so, and many of the people that I know that are, have achieved some great success, um, it was through the sheer determination and and hard work and maybe an element of luck, but um, very few of them had any special skill sets that, that a lot of people don't have. They just applied it and they wanted it bad enough. Yeah, well, I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit because you're touching on a subject really of, you know, people's sort of principles and values as I've kind of called it. Um, you know, or character traits even. So in your own case, what, what would you say are your principles and values or the character traits that have served you and got, got you to where you are in, in certain real estate? You know, um, it's interesting that you say that. I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to find, 
right in front of me, just coincidentally, I did a, as, as you know, I have a podcast uh, and I did a show, I have a couple podcasts and I did a show the other day on my core values. And uh, we have our, in our, I'm in my office right now and in our office, we have our core values. So um, interestingly enough, I've been in business for a little over 11 years and it's not that I had no values. We had just never kind of published them. Mm-hmm. And so we went through uh, my team and I went through a process about 18 months ago um, that's usually referred to as the EOS process, which is uh, in this book, Traction, uh, that talks about it's a kind of entrepreneurial operating system. And it's basically just a systematic approach to meetings and goal setting goals and, and things in your business. And so but a part of that is to define your core values. And um, 18 months ago, roughly, is when we finally you know, beat up and defined our core values. And, uh, um, and again, it's not that we had no values before. It's no, just that we had, you had no them. Everyone's got values. It's just, it's actually right, how, right. how you live and operate and behave really. Um, yeah. but yeah, to think about them. And, and the show that I did, uh, just, uh, here actually just recorded a couple of days ago. Um, my son had just moved to a new school. He just started school. He's in started seventh grade. And he went to a new school that is kind of a charter school. It's a little bit new. And this is not something you traditionally see in the U.S. at a, at a traditional public school or even a private school. But um, the day before he went back to school, we were looking through the handbook and they had published they, what they call their foundational values, which are their core values. And I read this and was talking to my son about it and explaining these things to him and my wife. And we were like, these are our values, the same values. And so and I have uh, their values in front of us, which are different ways to say my values. And so I'll just kind of explain to you, uh, one of them is responsibility. And that's what they say is take responsibility for your own life. No one will ever be as concerned about your success as you. And uh, so um, I'm, we're very big on uh, personal responsibility, right? Uh, well, well in, in people, the people in general are very big on personal rights aren't they so yeah interesting yeah and honestly when you say the word rights i'm using air quotes because people think they have a right to more than what they really do in my belief yeah us is uh maybe different from the uk but i think that there's a lot of people that think that uh, things should be given to them right oh, and i it's uh, yeah. it's not that different mike <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not cut from that cloth. I don't think that, I don't think that anything, I don't think I have a right. I think I have a right to, uh, property rights and, and the right to pursue my own happiness. Right. And so, um, but I don't think that anything should be given. I'm not relying on my anything or anybody else. Or anything. So I think I have to earn that, uh, you know, uh, things around, uh, principles like acting with integrity, respect and toleration. Um, that you have to respect the rights of others and, uh, and that you effectively, you know, I, we believe very much in, in hard work. And so, and, and I define these things in my, I've always worked as much as I needed to, to get things done. And sometimes it's still not done, but then we've had employees or people that work on our team before that are kind of staring at their watch and waiting for the clock to hit five so they can run out the door. And those people have never worked out. And, uh, for me. And it's not that I expect staff to work 60 or 70 hours a week or whatever. I just, my team now, some of which, you know, they do whatever it takes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't take that for granted. I don't, 
expect that, but I expect that mentality. At the same time, if if you have something going on and it's the middle of the day, like go take care of it. Like I don't care. Like you know, that's just that's how we are. Like if you if you have something you need to do, that's fine, not a problem. Uh, and when we need your help with something, then we expect you to be there. You know, it's just this back to this personal responsibility and kind of hard work. It goes hand in hand in my perspective. So those are some of our, I, I won't go into too much more detail, but those yeah. are really a lot of our, and, and truthfully uh, caring and giving about other people. Like, you know, I'm at a point now in my business where I, I, I know, and I've always believed this, but there's nothing that I can do or that I want to do where I win and whoever I'm working with loses. Like I don't want that to happen ever. And I don't believe it ever does happen. And so I think everything has to be win-win and structured in a way to where we care we care about somebody else winning because business is so much easier when it's repeatable and everybody wins. Well, I'm glad you added that that's one or those two in caring and giving because um, I've experienced that with you and your team for sure. Um, a, a, another one which you're obviously t- you couldn't possibly exp- uh, describe because you you embody it is humility. <laughs> so you can't say, "Oh, I'm really humble." <laughs> yeah but but you are and so um you know i wouldn't expect you to put that one on your list but um it's good good to have so it's great to get that i'm really pleased that responsibility came in there it's very very rare to hear that actually and so it's good good that it came out and hard work too they say success comes wearing overalls don't they so yeah absolutely so uh, maybe looking forward a little bit um i'm probably going to ask for you you know to give us some tips and, and advice for people maybe starting out or early stages of their career in a minute, but maybe before that, um, what, what's your sort of take on, on the market at the moment, the real estate market, maybe looking ahead next couple of years, obviously it would be unfair of me to ask you about the UK market. So um, the US market in particular, if, uh, what, are you, what are your views on, on how it's going? You know, it's interesting. I think it's very uh, location specific, right? I think, um, depending on where you invest at there, uh, there will be the market will have more pressure on it. Like in the coat, the coastal markets usually are the first to slow down in the U S because they're more expensive markets usually. So they tend to slow down a uh, market like the Dallas Fort Worth area where I'm at or Texas markets or a lot of Southern markets where there's just a population boom of people moving from those coastal markets because a lot of companies have moved to more business friendly States, lower tax States, and so there's just this population boom of uh, happening in markets like the Dallas Fort Worth area. Major company like Fortune 500 companies moving here every other month. It seems like there's a company relocating here, a big one, right? So, uh-huh. um, and so that brings 10, 20, 30,000 jobs with it. And so, you know, uh, our market is in, because of that is insulated by some of what happens. So, uh, you know, this is my general belief. Uh, there are life situations and, and our model uh, for the most part is we, we advertise directly to home sellers and um, for the single family stuff. And even for, even for multifamily, it'd be the same thing. There are always just situations in life that, that create opportunities in real estate. And so, you know, uh, I don't wish these things on anyone, but people are always dying, getting divorced, having health issues, having financial problems that are not necessarily associated with the property, uh, get tired of management of properties, uh, have tenants that tear up their properties and they just want it to go away tomorrow. And so those types of um, situations are always going to exist and they don't follow a market cycle. Just because the market is doing good or bad 
doesn't stop somebody from dying, unfortunately, or having to have a major health issue, right? And so I think just in the kind of circle of life and the issues that people have, situations come from that. There, we all have those situations, at least on a micro level. Like if you were if you were sick and you needed to free up money for something, like you would probably sell some assets, and and if you had to move faster, you might sell them at a discount uh-huh. uh, to a ready to a ready and willing buyer. And so I think you know those types of situations will always exist. Like uh, macro economy wise. Boy, I wish I knew. I, I, honestly, I mean, I remember having my uh, friend, of course, a number of friends, but I have this one particular friend that, you know, we both are uh, not economists, but we kind of would get together and act like we're economists and just talk about where the market's going. And even five years ago, we're like, you know, I think it's got to slow down in another year. It just hasn't hasn't come. So it's it has slowed down a little bit now uh, from years past, but you know, I I have no crystal ball. I, anything I would Anything I would say would be just a guess um, at this point, but well, I, I think, do. Opportunities will always exist. Yeah, well, and, and that probably feeds into a little bit of what you were saying earlier to some extent about control of your own destiny. Because if you're trying to time markets, you know, it, 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 it's a risky old business, isn't it? So if you're trying to ride a wave of capital appreciation and then the market goes against you, then you can get, you know into serious trouble and maybe become one of those motivated uh, sellers yourself. Right. So, so taking ownership and control and, 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 and the whole principle of flipping is to take something at, at, a, at a lower value and add the value to sell it at a higher value. Right. So yeah. Arbitrage. Uh, exactly. Arbitrage and creating value. Um, okay. For probably. Um, so that's cool. I think just, I guess starting to think about drawing some conclusions. Um, for people, you said there's different types of conversation. Uh, so maybe I'll ask you two questions about different types of conversation for people at an early stage, and then perhaps people who are looking to move on to the next level, um, who maybe you know have some form of established real estate business. So the two camps, if you like, people who are literally just about to start out or very early stage, uh, and maybe people who are a little bit more advanced. You know, you talked about your communities and. Um, what sort of tips and advice might you have for those people in those two categories? Sure. That's not too unfair a question. So no, no, for, no, and it's good too, right? So for new new investors, this is what we found is a lot of people um, end up failing, but uh, they try to get started. But I would, I would, you know, I don't have the statistics to show the exact statistics to show this, but it's a very high level of people that say they're interested and and kind of fail. But I'll say that. I think they often fail before they ever do a deal. And some of it is that it's just, they defeat themselves. And so uh, sometimes uh, it could be that they, I sent out some mailers and I tried to get a response and nobody responded. So this doesn't work. And we're like, well, how many did you send out? I'm like, well, I sent out like a hundred. It's like, okay, well, you know, in the U S uh, you might have to send like five or 10,000 to get, uh, to get enough response to buy a house. So it depends on what market you're in. And so some, sometimes people give a half-hearted attempt to, to say, I tried it and and we it's it's just a, self-sabotage is a crazy thing, right? We just do these things where like, I want it, but I don't want it bad enough to really go all in and commit to it. I don't want to burn the boats. And so sometimes people check the box by saying, well, I tried it and it didn't work and therefore I'm moving on to something else. So my point in that is, uh, you know, if you want this bad enough, there's no reason why you can't have whatever level of success from anybody that you've had on your show, right? Or any of the examples that I've talked about today, 
Um, it's just a matter of do you want it bad enough? And so I think early on, what really is important, I'm a little biased, but I really think that people should have, should surround themselves with other people that are doing it. It's finding a coach or a mentor, even being willing to partner on deals and things like that. And yes, if you partner on deals, the profit will be lower, but your confidence goes through the roof of having done a deal or two or three or more, like every single deal you do, your confidence just shoots up to the point to where, um, you know, it just becomes like breathing. It's, you don't have to think about it. It just happens now. And so uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I do think certainly in the U S there's a lot of people that think, well, let's go watch some YouTube shows or some podcasts. And, you know, I, I have those, you have those. Right. But I, I think there's a, a very different, like, Truthfully, what's probably more of an issue now is information overload. It's like all the information's out there, right? It's like a it's like a box uh, with a puzzle in it. Like the pieces are all there, but if you don't have that cover on the front that shows you what the picture should look like and it's like a blueprint, then it's hard to put those pieces together. And so, going to get free information online rarely has the blueprint for those things. Um, and so. Uh, anyway, that's my take on, on new people is follow a proven system and work with proven people that have accomplished this uh, before. And I believe that on um, the next level as well, I would say what tends to happen uh, at the next level is that people get to the point to where they're doing a deal, a deal here and there. And they are real estate investors now kind of using air quotes again, but they're self-employed. And so they own a job basically. And, and to, to really get the best part of this. Like none of us get into real estate investing saying, you know what, I just want to work more than I did in the past. And I'm okay if I'm my own boss, uh, but I just want to take on a lot more risk and work harder than ever. Um, but that's, that, that, that's what happens. A lot of people get trapped kind of in the day to day of their job. And that's okay. If you have that here and there, I mean, I have things every day that I have to do that I, I don't necessarily want to do, but I have to do, but, I don't, you know, I'm able to take, I mean, I'm wearing shorts and sneakers today. I'm, I have lunch with my wife every day. I get to drop my son off to school every day. I home for dinner by five every day. Like I, I have a lot more flexibility in my life because I've built a business up and I have other people that handle things and systems and processes in place. And it just takes scale to do that. And so what I would say for those, those folks is you have to treat your business like a real business with systems and processes and and other staff that take care of things. Um, otherwise, you just own a job. Very good answers, um, actually. I was making some good notes there. So I guess, you know, maybe um, an unfair question, perhaps, but could anybody do what you've done, essentially, Mike, would you say? No doubt. No doubt. I, you know, I grew up in a blue-collar family that we didn't have much when I was growing up. And I, I went on to get a bunch of education that, probably helps with some critical thinking skills maybe, but doesn't really serve me in my business. So that, that whatever your education level, the truth is, is most of the most successful real estate investors that I know didn't go to college. They just hustled hard. And so, but I know people that have gone to Ivy league schools as well. So honestly, if you're willing to work hard, if you have some core values around helping other people's and hard, helping other people, hard work, personal responsibility, uh, I believe that anybody can be successful in real estate investing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe it's just drawing a close, unless there's anything else you particularly want to add, so you can have a think about that. But um, how how could people, you know, reach out and connect with you, Mike? And um, do you have any sort of 
resources you want to flag us towards, feel free to make any website references you want to at this point in time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're, no matter almost where you are in your cycle, we have, uh, I um, operate a site called flipnerd.com, which we've been running for uh, hard to believe, but com coming up on uh, almost six years, five and a half years, I guess. We have about 1500 um, shows. Uh, so podcasts, we have various podcasts over the years. Um, but uh, they're all video based. And so we've got 1500 shows, hundreds and hundreds of blogs, lots of great information, a lot of free resources on there to, to get started or help take your business uh, to the next level. So that'd be a good place, flipnerd.com, or I'm probably uh, on social media more than I should be. And so I use uh, both Facebook and Instagram. And so you could just find me on there uh, as uh, Mike Hambright. Um, and if, you, if it, it turns out there are more Mike Hambrights actually, this is a, a little bit of an off-humor joke. Uh, there, I, I never searched for myself on Facebook until a few months back, and it turns out that there is uh, another Mike Hambright that has a big swastika on his chest. Let's just say oh. that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm the other one. That uh, I'm the other one. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that. You but somebody's like, you. look at this. Is, is, are you related to this guy? <laughs> like, I have no idea who that is. So, anyway. you know, not the guy with the swash sticker. I got it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm the guy that has a bunch of real estate stuff and looks uh, looks relatively normal, I guess, compared to that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been it's been great chatting to you. I really appreciate the, uh, the wisdom that you shared with uh, with our audience today, Mike. It's been, it's been the there's some some real insights that um, I'm sure people can take away and. I was nodding away there as I was listening to some of the things you said. But um, keep doing what you're doing. You are you are a giver. Um, very much can tell, can say that from a personal point of view. I'm looking forward to joining you at your next event. Actually, um, I wasn't able to join the last one as you probably know, but uh, I'll be right. there. I'll be there in uh, I think it's October, isn't it? But, um, it is. Yep. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. I will be there, and I'm looking forward to meeting you again in person. But thanks for sharing with our audience today. today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, Richard. You're welcome. You take care. Well, I'm sure you agree that was um, a very illuminating conversation and um, I was listening very intently and I've listened to it back again, obviously before I record this, uh, this follow-up and summary piece to what Mike had to say and um, there's quite a lot of subtle things in there that perhaps I didn't even catch fully as we were having the conversation and so I just want to recap on some of those. Do you remember he talked about he essentially trained his entire life to become an employee and to upgrade his skills and his education so that somebody else could value that and pay him for it. Um, that's like being in, this, in the matrix, in the system, if you like. And what he also realized is being in that system, i.e. having jobs in corporate, uh, corporate uh, organizations, he had no control. He had no real control over his destiny. And on a couple of different occasions, he, uh, that control was taken away from him. Of course, he got fired and then he was in a company that um, filed for bankruptcy. So he was looking for greater control. And I think that's one, uh, one key point. The other thing is he did say, uh, again, a subtle comment that he, he spent eight, nine months or something like that, uh, dabbling, as he called it, with an online business before he really, you know, got into real estate investing. And he actually said, I had to make real estate in, uh, investing work when I got into it because things had got quite desperate by that point in time. So in other words, he had a burning desire and a real purpose 
by the time that that came around. So maybe maybe that did him well actually uh, to put himself in that position. You can tell he's uh, he's American. He's uh, based in Dallas Fort Worth area in the United States. Done over three hundred houses in um, in in about seven or eight years before um, you know moving into sort of a larger scale. He's he's also got a coaching and mentoring business, which we talked about a couple of times. He's uh, retained some single family homes in his portfolio, but more recently, of course, he's gone on to some of those larger ticket deals, ten a couple of ten million ones and and one at fifteen million. He he just talked about. That's over an 11-year period, but those large deals only come in the last year. That's something quite consistent with my own experience, actually. The uh, Only the last 18 months or so of my larger ticket deals really started to emerge. Now, whether you can learn from Mike and I and short-circuit that process is one thing. Uh, but we did talk about this evolution and this growth that perhaps we need to go through as real estate or property investors, which includes scaling the business and, and also our, our getting our mindset in the right place to do that. So, um, you know, he's gone from a desperate position um, to now making more money than, than he's ever had in his life before. And, and that gives him choice, freedom of choice. He talked about being able to choose what projects he gets involved in and choose who he works with as well. So, um, but he equally talked quite a lot about not really being uh, being a bit isolated and lonely. So loneliness is one thing I've spoken about a few times, but I think this idea of having um, a peer or peers around you who can challenge and support you on your level was something that really came out of our conversation. And and obviously, there's a number of ways of doing that. You know, we both get involved in coaching and mentoring and masterminding, but there's other ways. And obviously, Mike talked about partnering as well. So he's partnered up, for example, on some of his more more recent transactions. So developing alternative income streams was another like undercurrent, wasn't it? He said, with hindsight, if he could have kept some of those 300 houses that he flipped. He did say he kept 40, uh, but he said perhaps he could have kept more. Uh, but he didn't have alternative income streams at the time. It, that was it. His income, his business income was flipping houses. He didn't have alternatives. So I think that's one uh, takeaway, if you like, that we could uh, you know, all learn from is, is the idea of developing or retaining alternative income streams. And I often hear about people who want to quit full-time work, for example, to go full-time in property when perhaps more of a transitional approach could be more appealing, or if there's two of you having one income source uh, to provide a bit of stability, which is something I did in my own case a few years ago. So I'm just trying to extract, if you like, some of the more subtle points uh, that came out of it. Um, The other one that really struck me was this idea of confidence. And um, if you remember, he talked about doing more deals just gave him more confidence. He said the problems and challenges don't go away. Perhaps they've got a different label or a different sort of order of magnitude to them, but we all still face problems in our businesses. Uh, me too. <laughs> um, but um, you know, once you've been through the mill a few times, you do develop the confidence to be able to move forward you know, deliberately um, you know, with, with your, your, your progress. And of course, that, that, uh, that toughens you up uh, enables you to move faster and it, it sharpens you in terms of uh, the way you make decisions as well. So I thought that was really interesting. And he's talked about this uh, this uh, evolution of mindset growth and it now being a game. What he meant by that was he's challenging himself to push on to the next level, to push on to the next level, even though you know, from by the sounds of it, he doesn't need to work another day in his life. So it's about the game. It's about sharpening himself up. It's about working. 
Um, I think we can't leave without talking about the core values point that we talked about and the words personal responsibility is n- are not ones you hear very often these days. So I'm glad that that's part of his core values. And I guess it's, um, I'm not sure if it's a stated one of mine, but I definitely recognize it, um, that we need to take personal responsibility for ourselves and for our life because nobody else really will or nobody else will be as determined to make, make a success of our lives as we do. <clears throat> He talks about principles such as integrity, respect, and tolerance. Of course, hard work was in there, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, there is hard work involved in achieving any level of success, I can assure you. But also this flip side about caring and giving. And I, I, do, I do mean it, and, and Mike's uh, also very humble. Um, he is very caring and very giving, and uh, he, he and his community have, you know, given quite a lot into me and my community already, I can say that. And I felt welcome from the very first time I encountered them. Felt like a bit of a family, in all honesty. So he meant, he meant that. You know, it's true. And uh, it, it, a lot of people say words that they don't really mean. That's not the case here. So there we go. There were quite a lot of things. Um, I think in terms of tips and advice, I, you know, I'm glad he broke it down into for newer investors and for um, you know people who are perhaps at a more advanced stage. And you know, surrounding yourself with people who've already done it. Um, and, and done what you want to do and it does the, you know, partner with people who've done it can breed confidence. And so that will allow, allow you to progress a lot quicker. And, and then I think, you know, systems and processes and treating things like a real business was the other real big takeaway. So hopefully that was great. Um, and hopefully got a lot of that conversation. So I, I guess, uh, if you want to move from being trapped in a, in a job or even being working really hard as self-employed, um, then you need to think about scaling and become, you know, turning this uh, real estate or property business into uh, into a genuine business model, and that means having people, systems, and processes, uh, and to operate at some sort of scale as well. So there's the biggest takeaway of all. Um, but if you want to contact Mike, you know, you can you can get him at flipnerd.com. There's lots of videos there. I can vouch for the quality of many of those. Search for him on social media and avoid the guy with the swastika on his chest. Uh, but remember, uh, just get to draw a conclusion. Um, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about property investing more generally, you know, you can always email me, podcast at propertyvoice.net. Actually, somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn recently and said, you're always saying contact me. And I decided to do that. And we had a, an exchange of uh, messages on LinkedIn as well. So whichever way suits you best. Uh, the show notes, of course, can be found at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Jack Jack. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.